Powerful video, isn't it? Well, we're going to be finish, uh, starting a series today called Finishing Strong. And um, I'm real excited about this series. It's, it's so important that we walk through this together. And it sort of piggybacks. I got this idea when we were doing the Reset series. And, uh, you know, how many times do we start something, right? Whether it be a New Year's resolution or, you know, just starting over or something like that. But yet we don't finish. And so why wait? to talk about it later on in the year, and let's talk about it now. Um, let's talk about it now. It's good to start, but, man, it's more important if you finish, right? A couple of weeks ago, I watched uh, Virginia Tech and Florida State, and I watched a 14-point lead vanish, and they lost, right? And uh, they got a good start. They didn't finish. And then watching them against St. Louis, got a good start. And then it started to dwindle. And I'm thinking, oh, no, the same thing is, is going to happen again, right? Thankfully, that didn't happen. But uh, I typically am a finisher. Um, my personality, I just like to finish things. I don't like to leave things hanging or undone. It bothers me if something's left unfinished. But my wife will argue about that. <laughs> There are many projects in my home, around my house, that, are, that I've started and sort of haven't finished. But I've got good excuses for, for that. It's not my fault, mostly. Some of it is. But, you know, uh, kids, you have kids. You know, I've got some projects that I started six years ago. And, uh, you know, Noah's five. <laughs> Hey, kids come along and you're just occupied and they cost money. And so, hey, I got priorities. That's my argument. <laughs> but uh, so somehow, well, kids and then pets. I don't know how I got involved in pets. They just accumulated over the years. And I had my, my garage, sort of my man cave. You know, I had it decorated and laid out the way I wanted it. And then pets invaded our home. And so my man cave was turned into a pet haven. And so my workbench and everything, and, and it just, you know, so I've got good excuses. But look, the DIY network, I know a lot of you watch that. Uh, according to them, each person, each home has nine unfinished projects. Nine. And I could just see some of the wives looking at the husbands and, yeah, get busy. <clears throat> So what I want to do is compare this with our faith. When you give your life to the Lord, that's just the beginning. When you are born again, that is simply the, the start of the race. That's the start of your new life. And so we need to make sure that we finish. And God's word is filled with this type of language of finishing, of completing. In Acts Chapter 20, verse 24, this isn't on the screen, but this verse just, I thought about this verse near the end of Paul's life. This is really, literally within a year he would be dead, uh, martyred for his faith. Paul prayed this, that he may finish his course and ministry that he had been called to do. Right, not just to start, you know, the start of his, his ministry was amazing, right? It was profound, 
but he prayed that he would be able to finish. So we are to finish, we are to complete our course, but so many times we encounter things in our lives, we encounter obstacles that affect the way we finish, that affect the way we run our course. There are things that we allow us to keep from what God's called us to do, from who God has called us to be, and we're sort of left unfinished. We're sort of left incomplete. Now, this series is meant for us to look at some of those things, to look at those things that hinder us and maybe keep us from finishing well because there's a lot of people out there that are just not finishing well. They're not running their course well. They're allowing things to stop them. Uh, So I want to look at some of those obstacles and how we can overcome them. And what better way than to look at Jesus, than to look to Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect example of somebody finishing and and finishing well and finishing strong. And Hebrews 12.2 is sort of the theme verse for this whole series. It's not on the screen either, but you probably want to write this down. I would even suggest memorizing it keeping it as one of your main Bible verses, it says this. It tells us to finish the race that is set before us by looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the perfect example of what to look to. So we are going to do this in this series. And we're going to look at Jesus in his life specifically, his earthly ministry. And we're going to look at the Passion Week, the last week in Jesus' life. And we're going, to, we're going to see some of the things that he encountered, some of the things that he faced, some of the obstacles that would make us give up and run, and we're going to see how he finished strong. So this morning we'll be in chapter 21 of the Gospel of Matthew. If you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. And this series will be different than what you're used to. Uh, Normally, we will take a topic and we'll discuss that topic and we'll use different Bible verses throughout God's Word. And I just want you to know that's different for me. In the past, I'm more of a, I'll take a section of Scripture. That's what I prefer to do. That's what I like to do. I'll take a whole section of Scripture and then we'll explain that. Out And that's what we're going to do in this series is we'll, we're going to look at the narrative of Jesus. We're going to take a bird's eye view of, of how Jesus walked this last week in his life. So we're going to be in mainly one section of scripture at a time. So chapter 21. Uh, Jesus had been doing ministry for about three years now. He was healing. He was teaching He was ministering to others. He was doing all these miracles that we read about in the Gospels. And then we come to chapter 21. And it's just amazing. This last week in Jesus' life accounts for 25% of the Gospels. Seven days account for 25% of the entire Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's a lot there that we need to go over. Um, But now he was on his way to Jerusalem to finish what he came to do in Bethlehem. He was on his way to uh, Jerusalem to finish. Now, in Jerusalem, it was a tense time. I just want to explain that to you. It was a very tense time in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the Jewish capital city. 
but it was also occupied by Roman authority. All right, so I just want you to understand that. The capital city of Judaism, but yet it is controlled by Gentiles. So just imagine, imagine that, the hostility. They were under Roman authority. And as Jesus came to Jerusalem, he picked an interesting time to come. He picked Passover, the greatest Jewish holiday. And so a city of 30,000 people normally uh, during this week, what estimates are 200 to 500,000 would be the amount of people that would, would go into this city to celebrate this Passover. And that is what Jesus is walking into. That's what he's going into. Very tense time. So, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. So I, I like this. As they are approaching the city, Jesus tells a couple of his disciples to go, go get the donkey, go get the colt. And I don't know if you've picked up on this, but it kind of sounds like he's telling them to steal it. <laughs> hey, just, you know, you'll find a donkey there. Just go and tie it and bring it back to me, right? Uh, but that's not it at all. You see, the Lord is sovereign in how he was working things. And the idea is that the donkey would be waiting for this. That people would be waiting if anybody says anything to you. So the passcode is the Lord needs them. Oh, okay. Here you go, you see. So the Lord had things in place already. He had a network of followers outside of the disciples. That's very interesting. But why a donkey, right? Why a donkey? Verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus, we see why Jesus did this. To fulfill an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah. And Jesus fulfilled literally hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. Hundreds. Um, the probability of any one person being able to do that is nearly impossible. It's one in three million. So it's truly remarkable that Jesus did this. And that's the reason for the donkey. But a donkey is a symbol of peace as well. And so Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, not necessarily to overthrow the government, not necessarily to conquer the city, but to bring peace. Verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So the disciples obeyed Jesus. They went and got the donkey and the colt, and then they placed their, coat, their cloaks, their coats, their jackets on the donkey for Jesus to sit on, and others sort of picked up on what they were doing. Others spread their cloaks out on the road 
And when they ran out of cloaks, they went and got palm branches. That's the reason for the palm branches. No more cloaks. Right? We've got to find something to put on this road. And this is where we get Palm Sunday from. Uh, seven, seven days before Easter Sunday, this is when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. The people were literally, they were laying out the red carpet for Jesus to enter into Jerusalem. Verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, Hosanna is an interesting word. It's a strong expression for save. It literally, people were just yelling out, save. Save. Or in other words, salvation. Jesus was being praised. His entrance was being linked to salvation. And for once, just for once, and if you read through the Gospels, you'll see how Jesus was treated. He was rejected time and time and time again. For once, he's being treated like the Messiah that he is, right? This was like sort of the, anybody ever watched the Macy's Day Parade around Thanksgiving? Right. This would have been like that. A lot of the focus was on this, and Jesus was the grand marshal. Look at this, verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So Jesus made his grand entrance, his royal entry into the capital of Judaism. And it's interesting to me that all these people are there for Passover, but what are all the people talking about? Jesus. They're there for one thing, but then all of a sudden they get caught up in something different. And the whole city was buzzing about this. Who is this? What's going on? Everybody's asking questions, trying to find out. Now this would have been, I just want you to think about maybe possibly being part of this caravan. Maybe even being one of the disciples. This would have been the highlight of their life. This would have been an amazing experience for them. His disciples, maybe even the people who were waiting in Jerusalem for the Messiah to come. They were tired of Roman occupation. The disciples were tired of, of just hearing about Jesus. They wanted to see action. They wanted to see him conquer. And well, he's entering Jerusalem and the whole city is stirred. The whole city is excited. Excited. There was joy. There was excitement. This truly was a spectacular moment for Jesus and his followers, but that wouldn't last long. That would not last long at all. You ever had a really great day, uh, and then the next day you have a terrible day? Right? It happens a lot. And this is sort of like this. I mean, things are great one moment, magnificent one moment. You're, you're on cloud nine. One moment, the very next moment, you're in the valley. You're knocked down. You know, sometime after entering Jerusalem, Jesus went to the temple. I'm pretty sure it's the next day. Okay, Mark, Mark tells us that. Matthew doesn't mention the, the dating. 
But we just know relatively soon after Jesus' grand entrance, he goes to the temple. Look at this, verse 12, very next verse. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now, Jesus entered the temple, the house of God, and he found that it was a mess, that it had been turned into this corrupt business enterprise. Now, the practice of selling sacrificial animals during Passover was common. And actually, it was okay, according to God's word. Instead of, and it made sense, people would travel from all over the Middle East, all over the known world to come into Jerusalem, and you couldn't really bring animals along with you. So what they allowed to do was for the selling of these sacrificial animals in Jerusalem, and then people can make their sacrifices that way. They could just buy them. However, this was not to take place inside the temple. Okay? And it was to be done reasonably. So inside the temple, they only accepted one type of currency. And so you have people from different nations using different currencies. They would have to come to the money changers to bring their currency and give them the currency that the temple accepted. You see, the temple wouldn't accept any coins with graven images on them. Right? No idols. No images. So they would change these, but they ended up cheating the people giving them back less money than what they were given. You you see, the whole thing was corrupt. It was taking place inside of the temple, and they were cheating the people. They were taking advantage of pilgrims who had traveled there for Passover. So, what did Jesus do? He went in, and he drove them out. Now, what, what emotion was Jesus feeling here? Anger. Anger. You know, Jesus was angry. He was upset. He was greatly offended. And you know what he did? He reacted. He reacted. And so, for the rest of our time together, I'm just going to spend a few minutes talking about this. I want us to talk about anger. I want us to look at this, and, and anger is such a big deal for many, many people. Anger is a big deal. In the Bible, next to love, anger is the second most emotion mentioned in all the Bible. For a lot of people, anger is a major obstacle of finishing out your course of finishing out your race and I know a lot of older people that are bitter that stay angry all the time but I'm starting to see a pattern of younger people who start off angry and stay angry and it shouldn't be it can negatively impact your walk with God it can impact your spiritual growth it can impact your relationship with others it can even impact your health 
right? So what I want to do is look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I want us to take this instance in his life and look how he handled it. And I simply want to apply it to us, okay? So first thing I want to share with you is this. Anger will come. Anger will come. Right? We don't need to be surprised by that. Actually, we probably should expect it. We should expect to be angry, and we probably should expect to make others angry. It's interesting that Jesus got angry to me. Jesus was like us. The Bible teaches us in every way. He expressed emotion. He felt things. And think about this. Jesus went from feeling honored to feeling offended. That ever happened to you? Yeah. You know, if something angered Jesus, the Son of God, if something angered him, then most definitely there will be things that anger us. It will come. We will face things that make us angry. We will have those good days, those things that make us happy, but we will definitely have bad days too. You know, it would be great if everything went well. (laughs) Everything went perfect, smooth sailing. If nothing bothered us, that would be great. If nothing offended us, that would be great. But the truth is, we live in a sinful world. We live amongst sinners. Guess what? You are a sinner too. It's inevitable that you will make somebody angry and somebody will make you angry. Anger will come. But look, we cannot let that stop us from finishing our course or let it affect us long term, right? You may get offended by a stranger which happens a lot, right? You may get offended by someone close to you, and that hurts more. You may get offended by a family member. It may be someone at church. It may even be a pastor, right? Some people, when they get angry, they stay angry. They they react the wrong way sometimes, and they stay angry, and it's like, there's this forever grudge. Am I just imagining this or am I right? I've seen it at this church, folks. That shouldn't be. Anger should not affect us that way. It shouldn't stay with us and it definitely shouldn't dictate our lives. It shouldn't dictate our walk with God. There is a way... If anger will come, there is a way to handle anger correctly. And so let's look at that. Let's just look at Jesus, okay? Uh, I want to share with you this. We are to turn anger into honor. Anger into honor. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. I've counseled a couple people that have anger issues. And every time I share this verse with them, they're like, whoa, it's okay for me to be angry? Yeah. The Bible instructs us to be angry, but don't sin. Don't sin. Don't allow sin to take over. There's a point where our anger can cross the line and lead to sin. If we harbor anger, if we allow it to live within us, 
If we respond out of selfishness, anger will always lead to sin. Always. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. He turned anger into honor. He didn't go on a rant and start cussing out everybody. Did you notice that? He didn't act out of vengeance, trying to get even. His reaction at first glance just looks sort of spontaneous, doesn't it? Like he's just going crazy. But his reaction served a purpose. He drove out what dishonored God. So, ultimately, his reaction honored God, you see. When we get angry, we are to respond to anger in a way that honors God. Most of the time, though, we don't do that. We don't do that. When we get offended or angry out of impulse, sometimes we lash out. Many times we act out of selfish motives. We want to get even, don't we? We want revenge, right? We want to do damage when we're angry. In that instance, who are we wanting to honor? Us. You see? That's the honor that we care about when we act in those instances is us, not God. Now I know, I know sometimes our actions or our reactions are hard to avoid, right? But many times they could be handled differently. Think about it. How many times have you overreacted? Don't look at your spouse. How many times have you thought, I shouldn't have acted that way? I should not have responded that way. I regret saying that or I regret doing that. Look, how, how many bridges have you burned? You know, we, when we encounter anger or something that offends us, here's a question we need to ask. And don't get too technical about it. Just think about this. God, will my response bring you honor? Right? Think about it. Think about that. How can, how can you be honored with my response if how we are initially and automatically wanting to respond, if that doesn't honor God, then we respond differently. Or we simply avoid our response altogether. We don't react. You see, it doesn't become sin if we don't allow it to. It doesn't become sin if we turn our anger into honor. So just think about how you can do that. Think about how you can turn that anger into honor. Next, this is the last thing I want to share with you, actually. This is such an important truth, too. We are to transition from anger to love and compassion. What's the opposite of anger? Love. The opposite of anger is love. And what Jesus did really amazes me. Very next verse, verse 14. Okay, This is the next verse. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple 
and he healed them. You see how quick that transition was? Good day, bad day, angry, transition into love. Quickly. Quickly. Jesus cleansed the temple. He, he acted out of anger, but his reaction honored God. And then he started loving and he started ministering to those in need. Jesus transitioned quickly from anger into love and compassion. All right, stay with me. In the Old Testament, it talks about anger a lot. A lot. Anger is mentioned 455 times. Out of that, 375 times deal with God's anger. Just think about it. Think about the flood. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about the exile of the entire Jewish nation. Think about God's anger in the Old Testament. What did God do about his anger? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, God responded with love. He turned his anger into an expression of love. You know, the best way to deal with anger, this is interesting. I hope you're listening. The best way to deal with anger is to find somebody to love. Find somebody to show love to. Find somebody to help. Find somebody to show mercy to. Find someone to show compassion to. If someone makes you angry at work, which happens all the time, right? Don't come home and take it out on your kids. I've done that a lot. I'm sorry. If you have a bad day at work, you get angry, you get offended, don't come home and take it out on your spouse. If that happens, you come home and you show love to your spouse. You show love to your kids. You'll be amazed what that does to them and to you. Find someone to show love to you, uh, to them. And it just does something, not only to them, but to you. Look, our, our lives and our walk with God are too important to allow that bitterness, to allow anger, resent, resentment, and those harmful effects that follow that stuff to keep us from finishing and from being the person that God wants us to be. So in the future, how will you handle anger? When I say in the future, I mean like later today, when you get angry. Tomorrow, when you get angry. This week, when you get offended. How will you handle it? We can finish well. We can run our course well if we look to Jesus, who is the 
author and the finisher of our faith. We simply learn from him and what he did. And I believe by doing that, I, I truly believe if we look to Jesus and we live the way he lived, we will be blessed. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for this message. Father, in how we look at this, there's so many things that affect our walk with you. There's so many things that affect our relationship with you and what you've called us to do. We're here on earth for a reason and for a purpose. And there are things that hinder us. And Hebrews also tells us to lay aside those things that hinder us, to put those aside. So we, we want to look at those things. Because as Paul says, we want to finish our race. Our prayer is that we would finish strong. So Father, if there's hearts that you have touched this morning through your spirit, I just pray that those hearts would be obedient to your guidance. Father, and people would repent if repentance is needed. But repentance involves action and change. And so from now going forward, I pray that we would learn how Jesus lived and how he dealt with changing emotions and how he dealt with good days and bad days and how he dealt with things that offended him. And ultimately, God, even in our anger, even in our difficulties, we are to honor you with our reactions and with our lives. We are so thankful for Jesus who gives us the perfect example of what you want us to be. May we have the wisdom, may we have the courage, and may we have the heart to desire to follow him in everything that we do. Father, if there's someone here this morning that does not know you, I pray that today that they would give their life to you, place their faith in your son Jesus and his perfect work on the cross, and that they may begin their course today Again, thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.